welcome to another episode of Intelligence for Your Life, the podcast. Our guest this week is Sunil Gupta, author of the new book, Backable, The Surprising Truth Behind What Makes People Take a Chance on You. He founds, he gets into the keys to success in business. It's not talent, it's not connections. It's the ability to persuade people to take a chance on you and your potential. And we talk about how to apply that to everything from job interviews that you go on to your relationships. So how to be backable in your life, why that is a trait that you really, really need. Uh, he is he is a very smart individual, and I am honored that I had a chance to talk to him. This is an interview for everybody that wants to move ahead in their career, who wants to uh, feel better in their relationships, more confident in themselves. This is this is a fantastic, fantastic book, and I'm really honored and excited to bring you guys this interview in a minute. I'm going to give you two quick pieces of intelligence that you can walk away with, you can share, you can do whatever you want with. But first, a quick word from our sponsors, including Rocket Mortgage. This portion of the Intelligence for Your Life podcast is presented by Rocket Mortgage. Every score change during Super Bowl 55, someone wins $50,000 in the Rocket Mortgage Super Bowl Squares sweepstakes. See rules and enter for free at rocketmortgagesquares.com. All right, I just want to say thank you once again to our sponsors. Here we go with two quick pieces of intelligence. First off, experts say if you're looking for a job or trying to make a move forward, it's time to maximize your LinkedIn profile. Career columnist Charlotte Cowles says, now that we can't network in person the way that we used to, having a profile on LinkedIn has become essential if you want a new job. Here's how to make the most of LinkedIn's algorithms to get noticed. Cowles says to regularly engage with the site whether that's commenting on something or said someone posts, sending friend requests, or simply liking things, those actions boost your profile and get you on the radar of potential employers. Also, the skills section of your profile is really important because recruiters often hunt for candidates using those skills as keywords. And finally, if you apply for a job listing within 10 minutes of it being posted, you're four times more likely to hear back from a hiring manager. You'll need to set up notifications for when new jobs are posted to the site, but it's time to power up your LinkedIn profile. All right, here we go. One more little bit of intelligence, and I happen to like this one. In the coming years and years to follow, expect to see more homes with doors that separate actual rooms because people are rethinking the open floor trend now that they're home all the time. Of course, open floor plans are amazing. They have their perks. Parents can keep an eye on kids without walls or doors in the way. Developers, they like open concept homes because they're cheaper to build. Uh, open floor plans breed togetherness, which is great, but perhaps it's too much togetherness when the whole family is working and learning from home. Architects and interior designers say the demand for private spaces is huge right now. Big deal at my house. And homeowners who already have open spaces are putting up bookshelves to define spaces and add privacy or hanging curtains lined with soundproofing material. Even IKEA is seeing a sales spike in their sound-absorbing panels and that can section off a room. Another downside to open-concept homes? Psychologically, they make some people feel vulnerable because you're constantly exposed every time the front door opens. But by creating spaces, people feel more protected, which can lower stress and improve focus. All right, folks, there's a little bit of intelligence for your life. And here, speaking of, of, of work, speaking of jobs, is my interview with Sunil Gupta. Sunil Gupta, member of the Harvard faculty, you know, speaker, uh, and now, most importantly, 
author of the new book, Backable, The Surprising Truth Behind What Makes People Take a Chance on You, uh, entrepreneurial uh, a, a leader, you know, a, a teacher. Thank you so much for being a part of, of our show today with us. I appreciate it so much. Gib, thanks for having me on. So you have a, you have a really interesting history of, of being an entrepreneur yourself and then making your way to teach it at Harvard. Uh, I, I guess, you know, first and foremost, what is your entrepreneurship background and how did you end up at a uh, at such a prestigious university teaching people something that I, I would almost think is impossible to teach? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I think um, we, we certainly learn, I think, a lot more from our failure than we do from our success. I think it was Bill Gates who said that success is a, a lousy teacher. And, uh, mm. and, I, and I think that's that's true. Um, I, I certainly have. And I, and I think part of what I what I value about teaching is is being able to share things that I did wrong so that uh, students who are kind of at that fork in their career right about to enter their workforce uh, can can, you know, not make the same mistakes that I made um, or at least make some different ones and then and then pass those on. Um, so, you know, I, I started out as, as an entrepreneur of a company called Rise, uh, which was one-on-one -on -one nutrition coaching mm. right over your mobile phone. Mm. Um, and, you know, I got inspired to create the company because my family had gone through all sorts of health struggles. Um, and it was a nutritionist uh, that, uh, you know, really helped us turn things around. Uh, the problem is that nutritionists are very expensive. And I wanted to figure out could we, you know, make that affordable for, for all the people who need it? I mean, as you know, Gib, you talk about health a lot. Yeah. You know, close to 80% of, of, you know, disease right now is preventable. Right. And, you know, it's, it's, it's lifestyle. It's, it's how we behave at home. Um, how do we make that easier and accessible to people who need it the most? But it was not a smooth journey. I, I, I went out and I pitched the idea uh, and I got rejected by every investor that I pitched. And I was trying to, figure out what was I doing wrong. Um, and that really ended up being sort of the, 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 the basis for this book. I didn't come at it from the point of view of an expert. I came at it from the point of view of somebody who needed it, a student. Um, and what I realized is that there are certain people who seem to have this it quality that allows them to shine in key moments. That could be an interview, that could be a pitch, that could be an audition. Mm. Even when they're not the obvious choice, we still want to take a chance on them. We feel inspired by them. And so what I wanted to figure out was, could this it quality be learned? Ooh. I mean, even if you're not a celebrity, even if you're not a CEO, how do we get a hiring manager, a boss, a team member, uh, even a family member to take a chance on us? Right. Well, I mean, and the interesting thing, you know, we were talking about this before we before we started recording, but I, one thing that we've really all learned, uh, sort of dangerously and and bluntly, is how much what you're describing is no longer the purview of you know Silicon Valley startups. We no longer can leave the entrepreneurship to a handful of of go getters. What, what I've what I've seen is how many people have lost their what they thought were their uh, their security in their life and, and now have to reinvent themselves. And that is the yeah. nature of entrepreneurship. So this skill set you're talking about is has never been more important than it is right now. We all need to be entrepreneurs for our own life. And so we, we kind of need to figure out how to become, how to find that it quality now. Otherwise, we're, we're all going to perish. You know, each yeah. of us, each of us needs to figure that out. 
I think you're right. I mean, I think all of us can use a little bit of that it quality right mm-hmm. now. You know, I mean, we, we know the numbers and 20 million people lost their jobs last year mm-hmm. alone. Um, but, but even before that, even before the pandemic really even set in, we were looking at mountains of evidence right. that shows that just the vast majority of us are disengaged mm-hmm. with what we do every mm-hmm. day. Mm-hmm. Right? And I think if the pandemic has done anything, I mean, the, w- I guess one of the things that it has done, it has been a reminder to all of us that life is brief and that we can no longer necessarily wait for change. Right. Yeah, we can't wait for somebody else to change for us. We have to change ourselves. Exactly. We have to be the people that go and that go out and do it. So, I mean, I, I guess how do you come because because conventional wisdom is it when you talk about it is something you have or you don't. So, right. how did you how did you learn? I mean, I guess how, how do you even begin to start that? I mean, take I know I know it's you know <laughs> buy the book is the is the short answer, but give us a little bit of a taste of how we begin to imbue ourselves with that with that quality. Yeah, let's get into it. No, I'd love to. T- I'd love to talk. I mean, for me, uh, I, it's it's all about the techniques. You know, I, I I love the science, and 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 there's so much interesting science that went into I think the the book. But but ultimately, what makes you know something like this valuable are the techniques. And and I would love to. I'd love to dig into those with you. Yeah. You know, well, one thing I'll say is like you know you just talked about like either you have it or you don't. That was kind of the thing that I I, I sort of wanted to figure out. Like if if you are a backable person. Is that something that you were born with? And uh, after studying, you know, some of the most exceptional people, I think on the planet, you know, from Oscar winning filmmakers to celebrity chefs to leading activists to iconic founders, what I found is that I think the vast majority of them did not start out by being backable. They went through the same rejection, the same failure, but they learned these, these qualities and characteristics along the way. Now, for me, as as you know, an entrepreneur and a researcher, that's good news because that means that we can reverse engineer some of these qualities. Which, in the end, this book was just seven of those steps, seven of those qualities that I think all of us can use. Um, and you know, I, I, if you want, I mean, we could just we just start with with, yeah. with one that's just top of mind for me right now. Like, well, and, I, I constantly remind myself of this. And I think you hit on something that's really important. We, we, when we say back, when you say backable. Uh, before we even get into the the techniques, you know, yeah. I want to I want to dive into that word for a second because I think so many of us think, well, I'm not trying to start a business, but you alluded to this a little bit, and I want to flesh it out a little bit more. This idea that every hiring decision, every every monetary decision that's directed your way, uh, is somebody backing you in some way, right? It, that that notion of being backable is is all of those decisions where people, you know take a chance on you, take a risk on you. Maybe you don't have as much experience as they were looking for, but they go for it anyway. Yeah, I know. Absolutely. And, and I think it's, I think it's at work. I think it's even at home, you know I mean? Look, yeah. I mean, during the pandemic, I've, I've, I've been trying to convince my, my eight year old to, to keep her room clean. You're right. Exactly. You know, it's, 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 we're, we're all kind of in a shared space right now. Mm. And I think that, you know, the, I, I don't think a day goes by where there's not something that we're trying to sort of steer and influence where in the end of the day, we're, we're trying to get people to, to, to go along. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and, mm-hmm. and I think that that's, I think it's a, it, yeah, I, I, I started this book out believing that this was a business skill. Mm. Uh, I ended the book knowing that it is a life skill. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, I just, I believe that so much. I think that the era, the, the economy where you go to work for a blue chip company for 40 years and you end up with a pension and a gold watch, I think is, is over. And when that means that we're asking people to make backable decisions, 
uh, over and over and over again throughout their lives. Uh, both, you know, it, what is what is asking somebody to marry you, but uh, but asking them to back you? Like it's it, these are all the same qualities that that we're talking about. So this will affect your relationships. This will affect your uh, your earning potential. And and if you are in fact an entrepreneur, this is this is something you need. So let's. Yeah, I mean, yeah, on that note, Gabe, like we 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 could talk one about one of the techniques and and how it how it applies to, you know, the life you know life skills as well. I mean, so one of the things that I think cuts across both, uh, professional and life, is what 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 we talk in the book about is called the IKEA effect. Okay. And the IKEA effect basically tells us that we place up to five times the amount of value on something that we help build mm. than something that we buy. And so there, there are a lot of people out there that are, that are very, very attached to their poorly made futons right. and they'll never get rid of them right. because they built that thing with yeah. their hands. Yeah. Right. Um, I have one, I have one in my basement. I, I drag it wherever I go, whenever we move, I'm not getting yep. rid of this thing. Yeah. And yeah. so, and so I, I think it brings up an important point for relationships as well. And I'll tell you a story when in 2016, after the presidential election, my hometown in Michigan, uh, switched from from blue to red for the first time in, in a while, and you know I'm 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 a I'm a Democrat, and I ended up running I ended up running as a as a um, for public office as a Democrat. But at the time, I, you know, I was in so I was in San Francisco, and I wanted to figure out what was happening in my home state, and so I started taking trips back home, and uh, and really started to kind of dig into to, to exactly what was happening on the ground, mm-hmm. and eventually I came to the the realization that I I really wanted to move back to Michigan. And I wanted to run for office. Now we had just had our second child at this point, <laughs> and wow. and my wife was very comfortable with our life in the Bay Area. She's a journalist. We just kind of sort of found our footing. You know, we're both from the Midwest originally, and we just set up this new life for ourselves. And now she felt like I was kind of pulling the rug out from underneath her. Mm-hmm. And her answer was absolutely no. Like, we're not, <laughs> we're not, we're not moving to Michigan um, so that you can you can run for office. Um, and we continued to have this back and forth over and over again, where I was I would ask her like, "Hey, look, this is something I really want to do," and she would say no. And what I realized is that what I was trying to do was I was trying to sell her a piece of furniture. Mm. And where she and I landed on all of this was a plan that we came up with together. And the plan was this. Let's move to Michigan and I will run. And if I win, then of course we're going to stay in Michigan. But if I lose, you get the choice of the next location. Oh. No matter what. You want to move back to the San Francisco Bay Area, we can do that. Want to move to the East Coast, want to stay. It's totally up to you. Um, No questions asked. She didn't pick Hawaii? she did not pick Hawaii. I, 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 that we should talk to her about Hawaii. Again. We're we're actually still in Michigan. She ended up deciding to stay in Michigan, even though I lost my election. But the punchline of all of this is that you know while it didn't make her feel great about the idea of moving to Michigan, that was not her preference. Right. At least she felt like we were building a piece of furniture together. She felt like we were co-creating this plan. Right. 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 So you got engagement from her. It's, it, you know, it, it reminds me of, um, you know, it's Sarah Lee, the baking company. Yeah. They came out with a cake mix oh, a yeah, long time exactly. ago that, that required, I think it was just water. Um, and, and it didn't sell very well. Um, but they switched it. They switched the recipe um, and, and so that you had to add an egg and some oil, I think. Uh, and once they did that, 
the the uh, engagement or the, the the purchases and the use of the Sarah Lee baking mix went up exponentially because the cake that you baked felt more like it was your cake and yes. less like it was a mixed cake. And I, and that that added to that level of this is mine. This is the cake that I made. And and yeah. I mean I feel like you got your wife to do that too. So I'm 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 gonna get a step ahead of you here and say that's the key when you're asking anybody to back you if it's if it's if it's money. I mean that's like it's kind of the the verbiage that they that they use on Shark Tank is how are we gonna grow this together? Yes. Um and so ultimately like that's that's the goal, right? Is you you want somebody to say, Okay, this is our business even though I'm just giving you the cash. Yeah, I, I think I think it's 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 one of it's one of the key characteristics is is to share what it could be, but mm-hmm. not how it has to be. Mm-hmm. Because when you do that, what, what what's happening is you're flipping you're flipping outsiders into insiders. Mm. You're bringing them into the creative process, and and ultimately that isn't that what we all want. We we right. really want to be a part of something, um, and I think the mistake that we can make sometimes is believing that we need to walk into a room with a with a bulletproof uh, answer to a problem. I mean, there's a great saying that we should fall in love with the problem, not fall in love with the solution. Mm-hmm. Right. You should have points of view. You should have done your research and your homework, and you certainly want to, you know, be credible. Um, but but to to walk into a room and tell people how it has to be rather than how it could be, and to get their input and create something together is a whole different story. So just taking it to like a very practical practical example, you know, when I was out there pitching my company. I had this really long slide deck and, you know, I would spend maybe 20 to 30 minutes going through this slide deck and then we would maybe take, you know, 10 to 15 minutes going through Q&A and discussion. And one of the best pieces of advice I got, and this was from a woman named Leah Sullivan who started a company called TaskRabbit, is to reverse that. To spend the first 10 to 15 minutes giving an overview of what you're trying to do, keep it as brief as possible, and then open it up for discussion. And if you have lots of backup slides and backup data, that's fine. You can use that during the Q&A, but open it up for discussion. Share just enough and then ask them to be a part of the conversation. Mm. Um, so, you know, before I walk into a meeting with anybody now, whether it be an interview or whether it be a pitch, I always go in with a list of questions. I never did this before, but I used to always have my list of answers, and now I actually have a list of questions. I really study who this person is, how they could be a part of this project. Then I go in asking for their advice um, and their thoughts on on at least a few things. Can you reverse that? In other words, if you're going in, so you're talking about getting your your sort of more traditional entrepreneur perspective, where you walk in and you want to get them to have ownership in your idea. But if you're going in for, say, which is a much more common experience for all of us, a job interview or an audition or, or, or something else, uh, where you, you sit there and do you start talking about ownership of the project that they are working on or would that be seen as presumptuous? No, I think I think you're going in with with in an interview. You're going in with a list of questions for for them. What's their experience like? You know, what 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 would they do in 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 certain situations? I see, for example, you know, from the shareholder report that one of the things that that the company is kind of working through right now is this. You know, I'd love to hear sort of how you're thinking about this. And right. you're just you're just you're just bringing them into the conversation. 
you know, and, and you're taking it out of the standard sort of interview experience where you're the one sharing the information and you're bringing them in. I know it sounds, it could, it can sound a little bit basic, but it's amazing how much, how much, how many times I think we, we, we miss that. Um, because I think even by asking questions and by listening carefully, you are getting people invested in, in your career. Mm-hmm. You know, well, I'll, I'll share one of the most interesting people I spoke to when I was writing this book was the president of the, the MacArthur foundation, mm-hmm. the, genius, out, the genius, the genius grant. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You know, long list of distinguished people, you know, Lynn Manuel Miranda from mm-hmm. Hamilton is probably one of their, one of their sort of marquee recipients. And you know, one of the things that, that was interesting is he, he said to me, if, if someone shows, if we're considering a candidate for this genius grant and they show that they're already on a clear path to success, that makes them a weaker candidate, mm. not a stronger candidate, but a weaker candidate. And he said, the reason is because what we're trying to do here with the grant, and I think this is true across in all different, all different avenues, is that we want to try to have an influence on someone's career. Mm-hmm. So if we don't give them the grant, they may not reach where they want right. to go. Right, right. Right. We want to actually have had our fingerprints on that story because that's what we stand for. That's what right. we do. We want to make a difference. And I think that's true of people as well. And so what we're doing is we're, we're, we're not just telling the story of me. We're telling the story of us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and so if you, can, if you can, when you're going in for the job interview, make it the story of us. Make it the, here's why I think I would be an asset to you. Here's why I think your problems could become my problems and we can find the solution together, that changes the conversation to be more, uh, I guess, proactive and, and co, uh, co-owned? Is co-owned, that- co-designed. Yeah. You know, this, this is something that we're doing together. You know, what, what, there was a, a, there's a great communication coach out in, uh, out in Silicon Valley. She, she coaches a lot of the, you know, top execs, but, but also just like people who are rising through the ranks inside companies and mm-hmm. trying to shift into different roles. And, you know, she said to me that the best piece of advice that she can give somebody is that when, when you walk into a room, whether it be for an interview or, or a pitch, the, the spotlight is on you. But what you want to do is you want to take the spotlight and shift it towards something else. You want to shift it towards the message. You want to shift it towards the customer. Mm-hmm. You want to shift it towards something that both of you can be looking at together. Mm. In a lot of ways, what you want to do is you want to shift from presentation mode into huddle mode, where it almost seems like the two of you are already working side by side to figure something out together. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I feel like okay. So, uh, you know, this is this is that thing where. Uh, a lot of dating coaches will say you get your date to talk about themselves and they will they will like you more. I mean, this is that this is the same notion of making yourself more attractive, quote unquote, in the marketplace by by engaging with them on a on a on, on, on at their own level, at their own speed, at their own place. Um, yeah, which which I think is I think is really um, I mean, it's obviously it's it's very insightful, very smart. OK, so. Uh, let's say we've bought into this notion and uh, it, it seems like there's a good amount of research that has to be done before any meeting because you want to make sure that you're attached to this notion um, and uh, so that you, you sorry you want to make sure that you're attached to the right set of the right set of problems that these people are experiencing what is a uh, what is another thing that um, what what's what's one of your other factors in, in yeah yeah so I mean you just you just mentioned you know the, the, doing the research and I and I think that when we look at most people 
who prepare for a job interview or prepare for a big meeting. You know, typically what we're doing is we're, we're, we're doing some research on Google, we're, we're, we're jotting down some notes, maybe a few questions, and we're going into the meeting. You know, that's, that's how we typically prepare. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I found that backable people tend to do is they tend to share an earned secret. Share an earned secret. Something that they found through firsthand experience that went from beyond just you know, sitting behind a desk, but they kind of went into the field. Like they talked to customers, they test drove the product themselves. They, they read the shareholder reports. They looked at interviews online of the people that were going to talk to or people at the company, um, and really found something that was specific that most people who were in their shoes would, would probably not know. I, I remember when, when I was, when I was, uh, you know, I was interviewing Brian Grazier for this book and I wanted to study I wanted to study his, you know, how he makes decisions. And Brian Grazier is a Ron Howard's producer. producing partner. It's it's yeah. it's huge. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So you know, over a hundred Emmys, over fifty Academy Awards. But he also invests in companies and he runs large teams. So you know, this is throughout a day, he's making very different types of decisions. But people are pitching him constantly on their films, on their companies, on you know, uh, on trying to get a job. And you know, I when I walked to the back of the conference room to meet with him. There was a waiting room full of people ready to, you know, meet with him. And I, and I said to him, I asked him one question. I said, if I was to go outside right now into that waiting room and I was to give everybody sitting there one piece of advice, what would it be? And he thought about it for a moment and he looks at me, he says, give me something that I can't find on Google. Give me something that is not Googleable, mm-hmm. because how you arrive on an insight, how you arrive on something, it can be just as important as the idea itself. And ultimately, great ideas and great candidacies are based on the insights that we bring into the room. You know, I'll, I'll give you an example. There, there, there was a couple of weeks ago. I talked to somebody who was she was applying for a role at a social media company. Mm-hmm. You know, she's she's trying to sort of get back to work after the pandemic has hit, and you know, she's applying for this job. The trick of it was that she didn't really use the product herself. Right. She she wasn't on that social media network. Mm-hmm. It was it was it was mainly for Gen Z types. But what she did is she went out and she interviewed all of her daughter's friends. <laughs> Yeah. Every single one of them, and she was like, "What's the what's the experience been like? What's what do you like about it? What do you what do you not like about it?" And then she did something really clever. She had them send her screenshots of the experience of of, of moments in the experience that they that they wish could be a little bit different or they really loved. So now, when she goes into this interview, it was over Zoom. She's literally holding up her phone and she's sharing these screenshots. And she said the person who was on who was on who was on this you know on this meeting with her just had never seen this before. He was so impressed by the level of effort that she had gone through that he actually called in one of the user experience designers into the middle of the meeting. He like joined him in through Skype or through through Zoom and and was like, "You got to take a look at this." It wasn't all that much effort, is what she told me. Like right. she didn't spend. It wasn't like tens of hours. It was it was a couple of hours. But but just going that one extra step to go find some insights that most people probably wouldn't go find can, can, can really just be the thing that, right. that, that I think seals the deal. Well, and it's also something that sort of separates us from, it's, it's, where your, it's where your life experience can come into play. It separates us from the impending wave of automation that's coming. You know, yeah. it, it, the, the more you can use your humanity 
because look, I know this impending wave of automation is coming. I've talked to a lot of thinkers about it. It's, um, it is, it's, it's going to change the way that work looks in the developed world over the next uh, five, but also you know, 10, 20, and 30 years astronomically in huge ways uh, in terms of what work is done by humans and what work is done by robots. But the consumers of everything are still going to be humans, and we're still going to need to figure out how to make them use the products that we're making. So to this point, when you talk about do the things that aren't Googleable, what you're saying is do the things that only a human can do. Do the thing that that we, you know, only a human yeah. can really aggregate hum, our user experience from a human perspective. You know, it's 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 that's it. You can you can look at all the data, and there's no way you're going to have more data on those people's products than they have. But what you can have is more humanity and a fresh set of human eyes on those products that that nobody else can have. That's definitely something that we can all aspire to, and actually a really great way of framing how we are going to approach the next wave of change in in work in a, in in the western world i mean it's it's uh yeah it's it, it really we, we need it we need that one tool more than maybe anything else that i've heard so far yeah yeah it's such a good point because i, I think i think what separates you know us uh, as humans from machines, from from robots, and I cannot believe is... we're having this conversation seriously. The twelve-year-old me that watched Terminator is is just very excited right now. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, yeah, I live I live right outside of Detroit. Mm-hmm. You know, we think about sort of automation and the impact. Like, I'm 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 in the middle of it here. You know, my mm-hmm. parents both worked at Ford Motor Company for over thirty years, and they both they both lost their jobs. Um, you know, and I, and I think that, you know, it's, it's felt, it's felt out here. And I continue to think about this because I think the thing that separates us as humans from, you know, robots, from AI, you know, really is our imagination. And I think when we can express our imagination, when we can take what's inside our head and we can turn it into ideas that other people get excited about, get as excited about as we are. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's a, that's a really special, that's a really special moment. And I think really, I think is a, is an underappreciated, but I think, you know, oftentimes missing part of the human experience. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And it's, it, you know, it's, it's, it sort of starts to, there's so much in our art that is being done right now that is asking this kind of question you know, I, 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 uh, a lot of people criticize zombie stuff and zombie movies for being, uh, for being just gross and, and horror. But, but the really good ones, they really ask the question of, of form versus function, of what it really means to be a human. Are you a human if you're human in form? Or is the, uh, are you a human, uh, you know, what, what you're willing to do to survive? Like all of that, that it's the extreme circumstances that actually reveal humanity. In, and nothing does it better, in my opinion, than zombie movies um, just be, <laughs> and, and shows. Because, that, because you literally have humans in form, but not humans yeah. in function. And then humans who are in form and function, but who behave uh, so selfishly that they, that they lose their humanity. So like, that's the question. And honestly, uh, I think the rise in popularity, aside from the fact that there's some really good intellectual property that is, that has come of age, like with walking dead and stuff. Uh, I think that's why it resonates so much during a culture that is moving towards automation is because it really does ask the question of where our humanity begins and ends. Where does that, where does that relationship to our fellow man, uh, where does that, where does that come from and how do we accentuate that at a time when we are losing uh, the efficiency war to machines? 
Yeah, yeah. I think it, I think it's that's the I think you're right. And and I also I also think sometimes we watch this type of content. It can also remind us that like sometimes we feel like we're kind of in that zombie state. Right. You know, we right. kind of feel that we kind of feel that um you know, it's it, you can almost think of it like a pilot light, you know, where you can hear the 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 tick 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 mm-hmm. but you keep, but there's no flame. You know, and and you can and you can tell when your flame is lit and when it's not. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. can tell when someone else's flame is lit and it's not. Mm-hmm. You know, and and fundamentally, like the this book or you know everything that I was trying to do with this book was to light my own flame. It's like I've got these ideas, no one seems to be interested in it, mm-hmm. but I but I but I want to put them into the world. How how do I do that? Yeah, and I mean, obviously, the best way is to write them down and let people read them. Thank you, thank you, Gutenberg. Um, the, uh, so I want to do a, 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 a last one. We'll, we'll, we'll leave it at three. And then if you want to learn the other four, you got to buy the book. So, so far, uh, we've, we've, we've had this idea of you want to create a teammate, right? You want to get them on your side. You want to make it a co-owned situation. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of butchering it and oversimplifying it, but, but that's, that's, and then the other thing is to, is to find the information in that process that is not Googleable. Um, so to get to go to that depth of of understanding of these other people uh, or of whoever of whomever you're meeting with, uh, to that 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 is unique to you and and cannot be found elsewhere. Um, and then, yeah. so give me, give me, am I, am I summarizing those first two points? Yeah, no, hey, that was great. And, you know, on that second one, on on the on the not Googleable, you know, find find an earned secret. Find yeah. something that earned secret is great. That, yeah. Yeah. Find something that you feel like, hey, I, I discovered this, you know, and mm-hmm. and who knows, maybe maybe when you when you present it, you know, it, it'll, it'll be something that that they already know. But 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 the fact that you kind of went and did that effort, you know, mm-hmm. you went through that is just it's 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 so important. Yeah. Well, even if you even if you're wrong, the effort yes. is is visible and, and you can be wrong. This is like like a math teacher asking you to show your work, even if your answer is wrong. Your process is something that they can that, that they can find attractive and and backable to use to bring it back to the title of the book, right? They can find your process backable. Show exactly. them what is unique to you uh, and what you bring to the table by showing, quote unquote, showing your work. Don't just showing write the answer work. seventeen. Tell us how you got there. That's exactly right. I mean, yeah. look, long term success often comes from short term embarrassment. Yeah, and and you know putting yourself out there mm. and and showing your work and 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 coming in with an insight even if that's wrong or if it leads to something that the, the person doesn't agree with it's still uh, you know being willing to be in the room and being embarrassed um, but bringing you know something that you was personally yours something that was that you earned mm-hmm. um, I think is, is, is such an important part of, of making yourself backable and 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 again if you do that well, you're going to show them something that nobody else can show them. Okay, let's do the um, let's do the third point. Uh, yeah. Give me give me one more of your seven points from the book. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, the, the, why don't we why don't we talk about what I call exhibition matches? Playing exhibition matches Ooh. before you go into the main event. Um, and what we found uh, in researching this book is is really this just very interesting difference between preparation. And practice and think about preparation as as doing a bunch of research what we've been talking about up until now Mm -hmm. um, putting new thoughts and insights into your head but practice being the way that you're planning on delivering that when you get into the room 
And what we found is that we spend a lot of time, people who prepare a lot will spend a lot of time in the preparation mode, but they won't spend a lot of time in practice. Mm. Very rarely do we do mock interviews before we head into a real interview. Right, right, and, sure, yeah. Yeah, it's just not, it's not, it's not, it's not something that most people do, but you know, it's been so important and you know, to, to, I think most of the backable people that I, that I watched and studied, they, they're spending a ton of, a tremendous amount of time with these exhibition matches before they walk into the same thing. In fact, most of the backable people that I studied did a minimum of 21, played 21 exhibition matches before they actually walked into a big meeting, a new pitch a new type of interview. They were rehearsing over and over and over again, which I know might sound like overkill, but you know, it, one of the also, also one of the things it might sound like is, is that if you practice that much, are you going to come across sounding just unnatural and like way too rehearsed? That's what I thought. But what we found, and, and, and I put this into practice myself is that it actually makes you sound more natural. And part of the reason for that is because when you, when you have such a high level of mastery over the material, because because you've practiced so much, mm -hmm. you can now be fully, fully present right. with the other people who are inside the right. room. Right, right, and that's it, where the magic happens. That's where the magic happens. Because yeah. how often are we thinking about? All right, I'm going to say this, and then I'm going to say that. I'm going to say that. We kind of have this outline in our heads, and we're, we're we're almost kind of going through the script, and that's how most of us are when we're in the room. But when you have it internalized to the point where it's just you've mastered it, now you can start to react and adapt to what is actually happening in the room, and that's 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 truly where where something special can happen. Right. Because look, it, it, we don't become backable through monologues. Mm -hmm. We become backable through interactions, through conversations. Someone asks us a tough question, we know you know we're able to handle it the right way. Or you know, I, ideally, actually, like something a curveball is, is is put into place. Somebody asks a question that you don't expect, or you know, gives you one of their best shots, and you're able to knock that out of the park. That that's when that's when these backable moments really tend to happen, but they can only happen when you have that level of mastery and presence. Right, right, right. And, and again, I mean, I, I said that is that's that's where that it's where like, so much of uh, so much of the process of interviewing for a job, auditioning for a movie, uh, trying to get money for uh, a project. So much of those of those times are dehumanizing. You know, you. I mean, I don't know if you've ever like if you just go on a slog through a lot of interviews or through a lot of backer meetings. It, at a certain point, it's just like you just feel, you just feel exhausted by the process. And yes. I, I think to your point, what when what the the th the reason that it's so exhausted, and it's, by the way, it's exhausting for the people on the other side too, the people who are trying to choose to back. You sit there and you watch all of these people who who are just going through their deck or or going through their. Uh, whatever they, you know, whatever lesson they learned about uh, uh, job interviews the day before, and 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 you just watch them. You're not seeing them. You're seeing some sort of weird put. Everybody can smell that it's fake. Everybody can smell that they're putting something on for the. It's a. It's a. It's weird and presentational. But if you do the kind of practice that you're talking about, where you've You've gone through the motions. You've gone through this over and over again, over again. So it's like muscle memory. You get into a state of flow, and you're actually connecting as a human being with the other people in the room. And that goes back yeah. to our that goes back to our like you know ungoogleable thing, where you're you're really just showing something that nobody else can bring to the table. It's like imagining a baseball pitcher who um, had never pitched a simulated game even or pitched in the minors, 
but they they get dressed on the day of going out there to play baseball and start start a game in the World Series. Like that, nobody's gonna let that guy pitch. No, because <laughs> great, he looks the part. He got dressed. He put on the Dodgers uniform, and uh, you know it's got the right amount of dirt on it. I've I've, I've done all the preparation. My hands are taped. My legs, ankles are taped properly, and I'm right. ready to go. Uh, I got a glove, and it's broken in. But you haven't pitched a game. You can't. You don't get to get out there and and, and get on the mound. That's it's not how it works. Give yourself the benefit of a simulated game. Give yourself the uh, the bullpen sessions. Yeah, I spoke to a, a jazz musician who you know is really well respected, and you know he's he's been a mentor to a lot of rising jazz musicians as well. And I and I asked him like, how do you have the confidence that you have when you get up on stage? Yeah, and and his answer to me was surprising. He said, I don't have the confidence from believing that everything is going to go right. I have confidence in knowing that something is likely going to go wrong. But I know that I have practiced enough Yeah. that no matter what happens when I'm up there, I know I can recover. Right. Right. And right. I think what we're trying to build here is that recovery muscle. And we can only build that recovery muscle through these exhibition matches by doing mm-hmm. it over and over again. And no venue, you know, when you're doing these exhibition matches, no venue is too small. You can do it with friends, you can do it with family members, but the key is... Comics do it. I mean, comics, comics do that. Do, before yeah. before they're doing a, a big special or even a big tour, they, the material is put out in, in small clubs in their, in their hometown. You know, that's yeah. part of the joy is you go to these small, these small uh, comedy clubs and sometimes a huge name will come in and just work out material at the end of the night for like an hour. That's that's a joy. I mean, I, as a comic, I've been in the room when when somebody big shows up and they get and it, it's magical. But that's the that's the game, right? They, they're getting ready for something big and they go and they do the thing. They go and they, they do, do the, the thing, thing. On a, up with lower stakes. They do the thing. Lower stakes. No venue is too small. I think we all need to be doing that. And the the, the other thing that I, I love, I love that story, Gib, and, and like I love that example, is that when they're doing these gigs, they're doing the actual version. They're right. not sort of up there on stage saying, all right, hey, you know, now I'm going to do this. And, you know, here's one thing I was thinking about testing. No, they're actually giving their actual, they're mm-hmm. actually giving their actual act, mm-hmm. right, to see if it works. So there's no director's commentary. And that's an important part of this process, too. When you're playing an exhibition match, do the actual thing. Now, pretend the person who you're doing it with is exactly the person who's going to be in the main event with you. Mm-hmm. That's genius. All right. Well, you've given us a lot to chew on. Uh, the book is Backable, The Surprising Truth Behind What Makes People Take a Chance on You. Link to where to buy Sunil Gupta's book in the show notes. You guys can go grab that uh, is right right away. Uh, it, the, in addition to the three things we've talked about, there are four more ways to be backable. This will change. I mean, look, we all need to be entrepreneurs right now. We all need to be thinking this way. This is a very, very timely book for us to all be reading uh, as we get as we get ready for whatever the future holds. This is the thing that will make us successful in the in the coming future in your relationships, in your job. Uh Sunil, there's there's two things I'm going to ask you. I ask them to everybody first. Uh what is um what is a way that people can follow up with you aside from just buying the book? Yeah, just just go to sunilgupta.com. Emails on there and and uh and 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 be in touch. So link to the website That's- in the in the show notes. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry, I was going to spell it, but you got you got it in the show notes. Yeah, so. yeah. Uh, link link to the link to SunilGupta.com is in the show notes. You guys can check that out. Click the link, uh, see him speak, see the see where to buy the book, uh, and and just and get to know the guy. Uh, one last thing, and I ask it to everybody: What is one thing 
that we can all start doing today that will make our lives a whole lot better? You know, uh, one of the mantras that I learned from writing this book, and I tell myself this every morning, is that the opposite of success isn't failure. It's boredom. Oh, that's good. That's good. Because we, when we're when we're in that bored state, we are are we're not doing those things that we talked about. We're we're dealing. I mean, I, I don't know if it, if it's just me, but I always try to cope when I'm bored, and I cope in unhealthy ways by scrolling social media, by you know playing video yeah. games, things that disengage my my prefrontal cortex. And it, back to the zombie analogy, I become more of a zombie. Boredom is yeah. is a is a terrible state. Uh, and so, I, do you have any any <laughs> cures for how to? how to get out of the boredom and move towards success? Aside I, I think from- we should, you know, I think we just need to use that boredom as a cue to say, Hey, look, you know, that that's not how I want to be. Like, like, let me, let, let me use that as a cue to figure out what it is I want to do with my life that, that can, that can bring me out of that state. Now, I don't think you necessarily need to, you know, react negatively or, or punish yourself for that because look, I mean, I think at the end of the day, you know, we fall in and out of love with, with things in our lives. Um, you know, and, and I think that it's okay to, to, to be bored every once in a while, but if it continues to happen, I think over a meaningful period of time. And, you know, I think that, 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 that's a, that's a sign. It's a signal to start thinking about, what is it that I need to be doing to to um, live a fuller life, to feel a fuller life? You know, and and I, I think that that I think there's so many there's so many good things in the book and, and examples of people who who have done that. I I think that you know I, related to that, Gib, I'll, I'll just say that you know, one of the things that I think hold us back from living a life that is not bored, living the type of life that we want to live, I think are three words, which is I'm not ready. You know, I'm not ready to speak up. I'm not ready to apply for that job. I, you know, I'm not ready to, 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 to pitch that new idea. Mm-hmm. But, you know, over and over and over again, as I studied all these people for, for, for this book, exceptional people, I, I found that none of them were really ready when they took on what it is that they ended up doing. You know, a hedge fund manager from New York wasn't ready to start Amazon. Three design students from you know, a, a sc- fresh out of school with very little career experience, weren't ready to start Airbnb. Mm-hmm. You know, a 15 year old from Stockholm wasn't ready to lead an environmental movement. But today, mm-hmm. Greta Thunberg is, you know, Time Magazine's youngest ever person of the year. Right. None of them were really ready. And so, you know, I, I would just say that if, if we if we really sort of rewind the clock on most of the people we admire, I think we're going to find that they're starting in, in very much the same place we are. And, you know, there's no time like the present. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's really, I think that's really, that's really fair. It's jump out of the plane and assemble the parachute on the way down. There's something, uh, right. something motivating about, uh, about that ground coming up at you. Uh, Sunil, thank you so much for your time today. I, I really appreciate it. And, uh, and everybody go out and buy Backable. Thanks, Gib. Thanks for having me on the show. That's it for our show today. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you like the show, please rate, comment, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. It helps us out a lot when you guys do that. I appreciate it so much. If you would like to follow up with us, you can follow us up with us at facebook.com slash John Tesh. where we spend most of our time. We go live there all the time, at least three days a week. Plus, you know, we just drop in all the time. Uh, John is also on Instagram at John Tesh underscore IFYL. I am Gib Gerard. You can find me at facebook.com slash Gib Gerard or on Instagram and Twitter at at Gib Gerard. I try to respond to every mention, every DM about the show. 
any guests that you guys want to see, anything that you guys like about the show, I try to I try to engage with because ultimately I do this show for you guys. So thank you so much for listening.